Hello, just before we begin this podcast, I want to alert you to the fact that around 4 minutes 30, the actual fire alarm goes off in the building that we're sat in. So just be aware of that, that there is going to be a loud noise. I've tried to cut it out as much as possible. We did evacuate and we came back in and re-recorded the rest of the podcast thereafter. Hello everybody, welcome to the NC Real Estate Podcast. Thank you so much for coming and joining me again this week. I hope you've been enjoying all the podcasts in this new series that we've just launched. Last week I had Bryony Goldsmith who came and talked to us about infrastructure and how that's impacting everything that we do within the housing market, how that's increasing house values and also a little bit about how actually moving into an area can make people like National Rail start to look up and think, oh, we need to sort out the transport links in that area. So if you haven't listened to that podcast yet, I really do advise that after this one, you put that on your next to play and you listen to that one too. Another news as well, if you haven't yet joined me in the Property Investment Mastery Facebook group, please come over and get involved in the 30-day Property Investment Cashflow Challenge, where I'm explaining to you guys exactly how you can start making cash flow from property within 30 days. And no, we're not talking about loans. We're not talking about credit cards. We're talking about growing your income sustainably and looking at really interesting ways of investing your money. It's very simple to get involved with. Again, that's on Facebook, the Property Investment Mastery Facebook group. So today's podcast, I'm very excited that I am joined by Jane Ballantyne. Hello. Jane works with me at the University College of Estate Management and she is the programme leader for building surveying, the BSC. That's yep, right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> um, for those of you who didn't know, um, I also teach at UCM, University College of Estate Management, um, on the MSc in real estate and the undergraduate, I do... Uh, property management so that's the other thing that I do if you didn't know about that already today we're going to talk about fire safety (laughs) because it's something that comes up all the time and for those of you who I am sure everybody's seen the devastation that came from Grenfell and I've talked about it a little bit before on the podcast when it very first happened and it was horrific Mm. terrible yeah that was last July yeah, uh, June, I think. June 14th of June 2017, yeah. yeah. And, and we've had those fires recently. There's one in, is it Brazil? Um, and the, there's fire in Glasgow, the School of Art. Um, and then oh, Liverpool, the yes. uh, Littlewoods building. So just, it just seems to be a spate of uh, fires. But yes, Grenfell, um, very different, yeah. And that's what we wanted to talk to about today, because uh, Jane, you put together some really interesting research, which I have seen, (laughs) and I I thought it would be a really good idea to start talking about what we can do as property managers, as investors, as landlords, to really start looking at how we can prevent fires, but also what we need to be looking out for in our own buildings. And I guess that starts from your background because you've got far more knowledge in this than I do. (laughs) You do the building survey side of things. I just take over from the property management side of things. So should we start off with your background in property? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, my my background's more the sort of nitty gritty side, not not the exciting sort of um, finance and investment side of things. Um, I am a chartered building surveyor. 
Um, and uh, where to start? I graduated from London South Bank University uh, with a BSc in um, building surveying. Um, and so I then worked in London uh, for many years for two or three different firms, including a firm of architects, which was really, uh, I really enjoyed that. That was, that was good. Um, and then uh, the sort of latter part of working in London, I uh, worked for a firm called Malcolm Hollis, who are quite a big um, building surveying practice, um, and worked my way up to being a partner there. Um, which was a, a brilliant experience um, and then I worked for myself for about four or five years before moving into teaching. I, I started off teaching part-time um, just to see if I liked it and I really enjoyed it. Okay, so we just come back. Um, that was really timely. The <laughs> annual fire drill happened at the point that we are recording this podcast. Um, so I'm sorry about that, but you probably got the fright of your lives when halfway through this podcast, or even five minutes into this podcast, fire alarm starts ringing. That was just at UCM, so don't start evacuating. <laughs> we went outside, we've done the fire drill. We're now back, but how timely was that? <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant timing. Brilliant timing. That's what a fire alarm sounds like. (laughs) Just in case you were wondering. (laughs) Okay, so we got as far as your your teaching. So you started working here full-time after trying it part-time. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I started February 2017. I I became full-time. And um, and I I teach on various modules on the BSC building thing. So... um, uh, what do I teach? Uh, I do a module on dilapidations and party walls, which mm-hmm. is uh, really was well, quite hard, but it's, it's uh, quite exciting and a bit of construction technology and um, sort of nitty gritty buildings thing, really. Okay, and so going back to your experience, you you started having a look at defects after La- Lacanor House fire. Was that correct? Yes. Um, so. What really got me into looking at fire safety and yeah. producing the um, sort of presentation that you're referring to, the, the, the um, research, that's the word I'm looking for, <laughs> was actually um, in, I think it was around about 2011, um, I was instructed as an expert witness to look at a high-rise residential building where there'd been a lot of complaints about um, potential fire hazards, fire safety hazards. Um, and the the stuff that was brought up was quite horrifying, actually, as, as to how the building had been constructed, the, the lack of knowledge and awareness of fire safety of the, of the building. Um, and interestingly enough, with this particular building, I, I forget how many flats it had in it, but it was about 12 storeys high, um, three buildings, actually. Um, so a lot of residents, a lot of people, um, and the Residents Association and the, the Management Association had been complaining and complaining and complaining about it, uh, saying there were a lot of defects and they were they were worried about the building. So it's sort of a, a, almost a mirror of, uh, of what happened at, at Grenfell. So hence the Grenfell fire, um, I started to sort of look as to... You know, why uh, have lessons? Why why we haven't learnt lessons? And and I was shocked at the similarities between this expert report that I had to do in Grenfell. And and I'd always thought, I wonder if it's a wider issue. And and, and in fact, I think it, it it appears to be so. Yeah. Scary, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. 
So what had the so how had you been instructed as an expert witness? Just purely people on the block had gone, hold on a second. Well they they had uh, decided that where actually they started to get the ears of the developers when they started talking money because they were going to sue the developers. Um, and the developers were a big um, housing uh, housing developers um, who you know, I won't mention their names, but they you know a household name. Um, and they thought, oh, well, we'd better do something about this. So they instructed various different people to look at various aspects of the building. Um, and I went up and down. The, they, they, they scaffolded all the building at the cost of something like £250,000. Um, Was that coming up for service charge? <laughs> I don't think okay. so. <laughs> Do you think that could go through the service No, charge? I don't. But my gosh, they'll try it if they could, wouldn't they? I'm sure. I'm sure they would. Um, but yeah, I, I think initially they were trying to show willing. So uh, it was at their own expense. Um, and we took off lots of bits and pieces of, of, of the building. Um, and you could just see that the, uh, the, the, all the sort of fire safety that you need with it. This building was clad very similar to Grenfell. All, all the sort of safety checks you needed just weren't there. The workmanship was dreadful. Um, which usually implies uh, lack of control on site um, and really lack of awareness of, as to how to design these things. Um, so it, it was shocking. I was quite shocked. What did you find when you went and had a look? What were some of the defects? Um, it was mainly in relation to the cladding, um, which was very similar to Grenfell. It was a, an aluminium um, cladding um, with uh, a, an insulated core. Um, and what, what you have is you have the... I don't want to get too technical, no. but... <laughs> I can see your eyes glazing over. Um, you, you, you have the... And I, I, I am uh, waving my hands in the air and making sort of motions, and, and which you can't see, so it's rubbish for a podcast. Um, <laughs> but uh, you, you have an aluminium cladding with this, this core, insulation core, and then you have a gap, and then you have the building. Um, and the gap um, should be filled at certain points um, with something to stop the spread of smoke and flame. Um, and usually every story uh, horizontally, and then there should be vertical breaks as well. Um, these were missing, or if they were there, they were upside down um, or the wrong way round or, or too short. Um, so there were gaps all over the place. So if, if a fire had started at the bottom of the cladding, um, it would have just gone straight up the building. So similar to the pictures you've seen of Grenfell, where, where there's that great big sort of flume going up the, the side of the building, um, because it was a sort of very similar problem with the cladding there. So can I compare that to something that uh, listeners might be familiar hmm. with? For example, if I was to do a small development in London now, which I've done a couple of, uh, we have to put smoke vents through the building now. So when yeah. the, the fire alarm goes off, Basically, the smoke just rises and yeah, goes yeah. out the top of the building. Mm. So that vent system wasn't present. Is that right? The, uh, the there's, there's two different. Okay. That the. Let me take. I, I tell you what. Let, let, let me take Grenfell as a, as a as an example because I think everyone can picture that as well in their their heads. Those dreadful pictures. You, you've got two 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 things. You've got the the cladding on the outside. Um, that actually, if there's a fire in the cladding on the outside and it spreads up because there's nothing to stop it, that generally shouldn't matter. Um, mm -hmm. It shouldn't happen, okay. but it shouldn't matter because it can't get into the building. Right. Um, and that's why fires subsequent to, uh, to previous to Grenfell, um, a lot of them, there weren't any fatalities um, because it was just localised to the cladding. It was, it was, they were dreadful fires, but it localised to the cladding. With Grenfell... 
the fire spread inside um, because there were things like um, the, the windows, around the windows, um, they had a, a, a non-fireproof sealant around the windows, so the, the flames and the heat just went in. Yeah. They had um, extract fans coming mm-hmm. out through the cladding and, and the fire went in through there, so... You, uh, the, you've got fire and smoke going inside the flats, which which you can't design. You, that's not supposed, just not supposed to happen. Yeah. Um, and um, so then you have a situation that that you've got fires in the flats. Um, they then the fire then came out of the front door of the flats into the common parts, and that's where you should have smoke vents mm-hmm. um, going up. But they weren't working. Um, so in in. Grenfell, sorry, I'm going uh, sort of away from your question, but everything that should have been there didn't, it just didn't work. Nothing worked. Um, so it didn't stop the spread of fire at all? No. So you, you've got, in, in, those, in those flats, you, you've heard them talk about the stay put policy. Um, yes. So, you know, and, and, and you, those flats are, are, are built to, to, for inside, if you're in your flat, that you should be safe. Yeah. Um, and that's the way they were built, but they they they, they didn't allow for flames coming in through the windows. Um, so the uh, and they they came into the flats. Um, they found that the fire doors um, to each flat weren't uh, adequate. Um, so actually, the flames and the heat came out of the flats and into the common parts. They then found that the fire doors in the common parts weren't up to scratch either. Um, so uh, when people realised that. They perhaps shouldn't stay in their flats because they were on fire. Um, they tried to get out into the staircases, and uh, they were just filled with smoke um, and and heat. Uh, they said sort of 150 degrees of heat um, in some of the staircases, and and so some were sort of okay, but most of them the the flames and the smoke, which it should not happen in the staircases, no. was there. And and then you should have smoke vents to to for the smoke what you were describing for the smoke to go up and and, and get out. Um, and you've only got one staircase, so you've got people trying to get out, and you've got the fire service coming up with all their apparatus, and that's where the um, the hoses went as well. So it's just chaos, and that, that's why those kind of buildings are designed for you to stay put as well. So because they're not designed for a mass evacuation, so it, it was just uh, it it just it, when I started looking into it, um, I, it just brought tears to my eyes. It was, it was just dreadful. There was no chance. No. No chance. The whole thing was just a fire hazard. Yeah, yeah. It's devastating. Yeah. Absolutely devastating. What's to say that more buildings aren't designed like that? Yeah, well, that, given that the, there's this one that I did the expert report on, and then Grenfell, I think, you know, too much of a coincidence. I, I think it, it, there's probably a lot of that. And I think really what it is is people just not understanding. I mean, I'm sure people, people don't knowingly sort of do this it's just a complete lack of understanding and awareness of fire safety and and um and what you need to keep people safe um in in a building and and to allow them to get out safely or for the fire service to get to them so should we ever talk about that what can we do because obviously we never want to see a repeat of that never you can't I couldn't have that sat on my conscience I'd never ever want anybody else to even be in that situation where you say Oh my gosh! What could I have done? Mm. So let's have a talk about some things that we could do. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I guess the first thing is, and there's a lot of different ways of looking at this as well. Because I, if you're a leaseholder in a freehold block of flats, it's really it depends on your lease. But really, the freeholder would have to make the building like that. But 
So what should you be saying? What should you? What questions should you be asking? Is the first thing. If you're looking at your property, what what are you looking at? What do you need to know about? Okay, I think fundamental um, is fire protection of the staircases okay. and the lobby areas. So from the front door of your flat to the staircase, the lift lobby, um, and then all the way down the staircase. That mm-hmm. that the, the is some kind of um, what's known as compartmentation. So um, if, you, if you do get smoke and fire in one area, it's stopped from going into to a, um, a, a, another area. Um, and oh, actually, a question for you. In, in, in a block of flats, there's a leasehold um, and you've got a, an overall freeholder. Who would usually be responsible for the front door to each individual property? Depends what it says in Depends the lease. Depends what it says in the lease, yes, for, sorry, which is what you said earlier, yeah. For most parts, mm. it's actually the uh, leaseholder yeah. who's responsible. But uh, if there's been a developer that's built the build, building, they need to have put mm. the fire doors in already when you buy the, the flat. So it really does depend. But even in, um, I've got a flat in Bath in a grade two listed building, mm. And the freeholder put that in. They put in the 30-minute fire-resistant yeah, doors, yeah. which I have checked regularly. Um, whereas in the one of the blocks that I have a flat in in London, that's my responsibility to do that. And if I okay. want to put a 60-minute door in, I have to pay for that to be upgraded. Yeah, okay, all right. But, but you have to put back something that is fire-rated. Fire-rated, yeah. Fire yeah. yeah, yeah, okay. <clears throat> I suppose that's the most important thing, to, to keep you safe within your individual flat or to keep your tenants safe within your individual flat, to make sure that the door is a fire door, but that is really difficult to tell, particularly in, in older properties. Um, and um, also what happened with Grenfell is they upgraded the fire doors mm-hmm. um, to many of the flats uh, not all of them but to many of the flats I, I think maybe the ones that the freeholder was responsible for ones that had actually been bought I, I suspect the leaseholders were responsible for um, but they put in these doors that they thought were fire rated um, and it turns out that they don't meet their specification um, and in fact they've been taken off the market um, and I, I can't think of the name of them actually but um so, uh, yes, so there are a couple of brands of fire doors that have been taken off the market, so um, anybody who has those uh, should be checking those. But also, with fire doors, it's not just the door that's mm-hmm. the, the problem, that the actual sort of rectangle bit. It's the frame around the uh, outside, um, but also what you put in it as well. So letterboxes, door handles, um, all of that, they, they all need to um, have some kind of fire rating and, and the holes to be sealed and everything. Um, so that that is really really important. One of the other things that I rem- when I was managing properties predominantly in central London mm. was if you had the staircase where you went to the upper part. If yeah. the wall between say the commercial and the ground floor and the staircase wasn't yeah. fire resistant, you had to do something about yes. that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And again, I wouldn't as. I'm not a building surveyor. I know people always ask me about this. I'm not. <laughs> That's Jane's department. I, I deal more with the lease advisory, property management and strategy side of things. Um, and I'd have to get a fire risk mm. assessor out yeah. to determine that or mm. a building surveyor because yeah. I would have no idea. But you need to know that yeah. that also could cause problems. Mm. Yeah, I, th- I think um, that's a good point, actually. I, th- I think very importantly, if you've got commercial space, um, uh, say I've done quite a lot of surveys of... Um, 
where you've got uh, retail um, uh, uh, on the ground floor and then residential up above. Um, and the, yeah, the separation between the staircase and the, 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 the commercial premises, um, but then also the floor. Oh. Um, between the so if, if you've got a shop and then a flat on the first floor so a shop on the ground floor flat on the first floor that floor between them should be fire rated mm-hmm. as well um, usually by an hour um, to because to, uh, um, you can imagine probably the retail is is, is more riskier than yeah. the, um, the the residential but yeah that needs to be separated um, so that that's that's very, uh, very very important and if you're actually doing that work. Um, then it'll come under building regulations. If not, then you need to do a fire um, a safety a risk thing. We <laughs> fire risk assessment. But that's all often the reason when mm. people, when lenders won't lend above commercial units. Yeah. That's the reason. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's one of the main reasons. Okay, so we need the fire rated doors. Yes. Um, not just the wooden door. The smoke seals around it. Yeah. The door frame. Yeah. Um, the letterbox, the yeah. door handle, yeah. the yeah. key. Okay. So if you if you think that you've you've got something that um, resists flames for thirty minutes, and you then go and put a hole in it to put your letterbox or or your your door handle or, or your spy hole or something like that, <laughs> uh, you know, for the, the, you've made a hole in it. Um, so it's not thirty minutes rated anymore. So um, you can either buy them with all the kit, or or, or you have to get uh, sort of you know handles and whatever that are fire rated with sealants around them and everything. Okay, so once we've upgraded that, and how much is a fire door? I've, I've seen that they're about £800 recently. That's That was the last time I had a fire door fitted, which about two two years ago, £800 yeah. a fire door. Um, so that is what you can kind of expect to pay. That was in London as well, so you may find something cheaper. But don't do it without going in and getting a fire risk assessor or a building surveyor to approve it first. Please don't just go and buy these cheaply. Please don't. People's lives are at stake. For the sake of a couple of hundred pounds, you don't want to be killing anybody, and that is as serious as it gets. Yeah. So what else can we do? What else? Um, what about windows? You see, windows shouldn't be a problem, because when, you, when you're designing uh, sort of um, for fire safety... Um, you're not like Grenfell thinking of fire coming in from the outside. Um, mm-hmm. you're, you're trying to protect the occupants from fire that's arisen within the building itself. Um, yeah. where, where you do have um, regulations for outsiders actually spread a flame from one building to the other, um, not from the outside to, to, to the inside. So, um, But I think buildings that are of great significance at the moment are ones that have been uh, refurbished and overclad or, or something done to the outside of them, as in Grenfell. Um, and there's lots and lots and lots of buildings where that has been done too. Um, with, with good reason, it makes yeah. them look better and it, it upgrades the thermal insulation and, and makes the internal comfort levels a, a, a lot better. Um, but there's a lot of guidance on the, um, oh, what are they called, the government department that deals with... Um, Ministry this, of Housing? Yes, uh, them. <laughs> that that one's. Um, they, they have, if you go onto their website, um, they, they have uh, two specific areas about Grenfell. One of them um, is all the guidance that they've issued on things like fire doors, um, testing of cladding um, over buildings of certain heights. Um, and it's really good, actually, and it's, it's, it's quite clear. 
Um, but I think if 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 um, if anybody's involved in buildings that have been overclad, um, then um, the, the the specific guidance and and it, it may be the case that they may need testing. Um, yeah. The the and the, the where the government's having a little bit of difficulty is with buildings in private ownership as well. Um, that that they haven't tested all of those buildings. So I think that's probably for landlords, um, freeholders, whatever, to perhaps step up and and recognise. Um, if they've got a, a building that's at risk. Even in new builds, is there a chance that, for example, like student accommodation, could could there be that kind of cladding that's been built in the last five years where it's been put up uh, pretty quickly? How long has this, clad, this type of cladding not been used? It's been around for a little while. Okay. Um, I mean, the... the the thing with Grenfell is that that Grenfell didn't meet building regulations. Right. They shouldn't have put that cladding on. Um, okay. So it wasn't like they they put a cladding that's allowed on that building, um, and okay. actually it's then been found to be substandard. They shouldn't have put it on that building in the first place. So anything over uh, eighteen meters high, that cladding shouldn't be allowed. Um, and there's certain assessments, building regulations. So so. so you kind of like to think that most buildings that have, have, have been built recently are, are are up to those standards, but then you can't assume either. Student housing, hmm, there are there's a lot of student housing that was built um, sort of ten years ago and still continues. So it's modular stuff. It yeah. comes on the back of a lorry, doesn't it? Yes, yeah. it's craned <laughs> in, into place. Um, and to be honest, I don't know about that. I think it's something though that. Um, if you didn't know, there's quite big schemes at the moment where developers are putting up these student housing mm. and then they're selling off individual bedrooms as pods, as investments. Um, and so that's why that bought that. Mm. I kind of thought about that because that's something that a lot of people who'd be listening would actually be probably involved with buying yeah. off these pods. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if they were uncertain, would you go to you'd go to the Ministry of Housing, I assume, but you'd also uh, ask the freeholder or the owner to get the building spare in and get that double check. Yeah, and uh, for the uh, probably the specification and, and 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 drawings for the building would indicate what what was used on them. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you should you should be asking for some evidence of actually what the, the cladding is. Asking for questions. Yeah. Asking for clarification. Mm. That's really important as yeah. well. I think yeah. if you're unsure, mm. ask the person who's put it together. Ask for those mm. that information because. You can't just sit back now and think, oh, it'd be fine. Yeah, no, you can't. You can't at all. I wonder, actually, I don't know the situation in respect of building insurance as well for those kind of buildings. I wonder if the insurers will have some part to play in that they'll be asking freeholders and landlords to prove that their building is clad safely before they'll insure it. Yeah, they're asking now about... um, the age of the building, when it was built, and mm. if it's if it has met building regulations and if that's been signed off. So yeah, it is something yeah. that they are really hot on. And I know as surveyors, when I've just redone my PII insurance, I got asked if I had anything to do with Grenfell cladding really? because you're not going to get insured anymore if you yeah. advise for that to go on the outside of the building, <laughs> which is interesting, isn't it? It's, it's updating all of yeah, these yeah. policies. Well, yeah. again, I'm not a building surveyor. I don't get in, involved yeah. in that side yeah. of things, so it doesn't apply but it's actually now starting to hold people accountable to the mm. fact that they've recommended that that goes on the outside of a building. Although, I'm, again, you would see from previous cases of this happening that it's not a good idea. So surely you take that forward into the next building that you you design. It's 
it would seem strange to me that that's got through the, the cracks but sometimes I guess when they, they put up these buildings sometimes it does just get overlooked and that's terrifying yeah yeah well I, I think some of this with Grenfell was it was cost uh, cost saving um, and you know all, all well and good it's, it, um, some of that cladding would have been taxpayers money I, I assume because um, not all the, the flats were in private ownership were they so um but cost saving is, you know, it, you, you, you should be paying the right price for what it costs to overclad a building or to build safely, generally, a build an old building. Um, I think the um, Dame Judith Hackett, the Hackett report that, that came out about mm-hmm. Grenfell, um, she describes it as a, a race to the bottom um, in terms of sort of design and construction, that, that, that we're just going to the lowest sort of, uh, um, common denominator rather than building uh, and designing um, properly uh, and, and, and for the money we've got um, pe- people want more for their money and, and because of that they're, they're getting less and so it's compromising safety and what, whatever but at the end of the day how much is the price of a life? <laughs> you can't put a price no. on it at all can you? No. so you've got to spend the money to have things done no. correctly and if you are at all unsure ask a professional yeah I think that's the, the key takeaway mm. from this. So just to really round up then, um, this has been an awesome discussion. Thank you, Jane. But, um, we're suggesting to people that actually as a result of this, if you've listened to this and you're a landlord, you're a surveyor, you're a property manager, you're a property investor, whatever your role is, if you are in charge of a property, now is the time to act and make sure that that property is fire safe. And if you don't know what to do, get a fire risk assessment done because that will explain exactly what it is that you need to do. Fire risk assessments, depending on whether it's commercial or residential, will cost you £100 to £500, but that's a big commercial block at £500. Usually it's about £100, but do make sure that they are... These are legitimate people. Don't just be Mm. asking anybody to come and do your fire risk assessment. Do make sure that you're asking... um, someone who really does have a background in fire and usually fire risk assessors uh, used to be fire people themselves so make sure that they've got that credit creditable um background do that but also have a look at your doors make sure they're fire fire yeah. resistant at least 30 minutes isn't it yes yeah, at least 30 minutes and also smoke detectors or a fire alarm system yes yeah yeah but at a minimum, smoke detectors. And as landlords and property investors, before a tenant goes in and takes the keys, when they move into your property, you now need to show that you've tested that smoke detector in front of them and that the tenant has signed to say they know how they know it's working and they know how to change the batteries. You cannot shirk on that anymore. You need to make sure that you're giving that with the documentation when you let your property. So do it now that you've heard it, you know to do it, get them to sign. Um, I even go as far as recording the fact that I've my smoke detector works um, and it might sound over the top but at least you've got it you know that that tenant will be alerted in the event of a fire and also go on um, the Met, uh, the uh, London Fire Brigade's website because they've got a really really good fire escape policy that you can give to your tenants and also you can fill it in according to your location so have a look at that and make sure your tenants also know what to do in the event of a fire because inevitably, if there is a fire, people panic. Mm. And 
if they don't know what to do, if it's not in their minds, then they're not going to act reasonably. You want to make sure that they feel confident in how to get out in the event of a fire. And you as a landlord need to be advising them of that because that's your responsibility. So... Thank you, Jay. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to put some really useful links below so that you've got all of that information. And if you want to find out more about the podcast, then head on over to www.ncrealestate.co.uk. And if you want to find out more about degrees with UCM, I'm going to put UCM's website address below as well. And if you want to get in contact with us, please do. You can send me an email at natasha at ncrealestate.co.uk. And if you want it forwarded to Jane, then please ask. (laughs) (laughs) So that's all for today's podcast. Thank you for joining us and I will catch up with you all next week.